0: I'm hoping and planning, Lord willing, to return next week to our study of the book of Acts. But I'd like you to turn this morning back to the scripture reading we had in 2 Peter chapter 3. As we just had it read to us and explained, this is speaking of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord is coming again taught throughout the Scriptures. We often sing of it in our hymns. We sang of it in the hymns I chose today because they speak of that, but there are many hymns that speak of that coming day of the Lord and how we need to be ready for that day. It's a topic that we need to consider more often. Something that has a very practical effect on us or should Now very often when people talk about the coming of the Lord or the second coming, there's a lot of speculation and curiosity and and it seems to lead nowhere but just to be able to understand certain things and how to explain when this is going to happen or that's going to happen. But as we just read in this passage, it's a very practical thing. It's something that should spur us on to love and to good works. But here... The Apostle Peter has been warning against false prophets last week when it was explained to us about the scoffers who would come. That's the very thing they often attack. Where is the promise of His coming? They're scoffers. But Peter reminds them of the nature of God. He says, remember that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years. You see, His character and His purposes are not altered by the passing of time. He is a God who is eternal. And so with Him, one day is like a thousand years in His sight. And God often says He's going to do something, and then a year will go by, or ten years, or a hundred years, or hundreds of years. Remember, the people of Israel were in Egypt for 400 years. A long time. But God promised that He was going to bring them into the land of, uh, the promised land, the land of Canaan. God carried out His promises. And so Peter also reminds them of the faithfulness of God. That He is a God who is always faithful to His promises. If He promises something, He does it. It may not be on our timetable, but He accomplishes everything. He purposes. Everything He promises, He keeps. He also says that this seeming delay of His coming is not due to God's impotence or His slackness or His indifference. But it's actually because of His mercy that He's giving them more time to repent. But then in verse 10, that we had read this morning... Peter goes on the offensive. He says, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Now, there are many views and philosophies of the history of this world. Uh, some uh, view the world in the what's called the cyclical view that it was held by the ancient Greek philosophers. They viewed the world and history as a matter of cycles there's the rise and the fall of civilizations and great empires and so forth and it just keeps coming around what goes around comes around and then there's the evolutionary view that sees mankind as inevitably progressing until we bring in some type of glorious utopia it hasn't been happening yet <laughs> with all of the evolution we've had supposedly we're not getting better the world's not getting safer the Nothing's getting better, and technology, of course, is getting better. There's certain things that are not as much suffering as there once was in regard to uh, the mundane matters of life. But when you just look at the condition of mankind in the world, who could say with a straight face that things are better and better and better, and they hope to have this utopia? And then there's also the despairing view of history, that's, as its name speaks, it's rather hopeless. It believes that man has a suicide pact with nature, and he will eventually exterminate himself. And so there will be an end to history. There's also, along with the evolutionary view of the Big Bang, that the world started with the Big Bang, and everything's expanding, and one day it's all going to contract back to where it was And it will die with a fizzle or another bang. But it's heading nowhere. Well, in contrast to these opinions, the biblical view is that the course of history is ever moving onward to the final consummation of all things. The biblical view begins with God, which our thinking should begin with God. In the beginning, God... Created the heavens and the earth. Now, if God created everything, then it's going somewhere. There's going to be a consummation. God is infinite, eternal, and unchangeable. He's a personal God. He's a God who is sovereign, a God who purposes and plans things. And the Bible tells us that God works everything after the counsel of His will. No one can stop him. No one can even question what he has done. Man was a created being and is a created being, created by God and for his own glory. He was created as the apex and crowning glory of all of God's earthly creation. He was made in the image and likeness of God. He's not a result of some cosmic accident like the Big Bang. No, he is the handiwork of the supreme personal God of revelation. Now, if this is so, then we need to ask the question, Well, what happened to this world? What happened to man? Why is the world in such a mess? I don't mean so much economically, but morally and and culturally. There's only one thing that explains it, And it's the biblical doctrine of sin. Of original sin. Shorter Catechism speaks of our first parents, that is Adam and Eve, when they fell from their original state of righteousness, being left to the freedom of their own will, they fell from the estate wherein they were created by sinning against God. That's what changed this world from being a utopia, from being a paradise, to being what it is now, a world full of sin. The fall brought mankind into this state of sin and misery. The Bible tells us that God has a plan, an eternal plan. This plan goes all the way back before He created anything, before He created the angels, before He created the heavens and the earth. God had a plan, and history is the unfolding of God's plan. And that plan includes the plan of redemption. The Bible tells us that God's history of redemption is actually going somewhere. It's ever moving forward according to God's eternal plan. It's going and heading to a day, we'll talk about in a moment, a specific day. When faith shall be sight and the clouds will be rolled back as a scroll. And the trump shall resound and the Lord shall descend. And that's what Peter is referring to here when he speaks of the day of the Lord or the day of God. The Bible speaks to this. The whole Bible points to this day. But as we come to the New Testament, there's more and more language and clearer language of what's going to happen on that day. And so, uh, just follow with me as I read verses 10 through 13 for a moment. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise. And the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, Since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons you ought to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to His promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which Righteousness dwells. The first thing I want to point out is Peter's designation for the coming of Jesus Christ. He calls it the day of the Lord or the day of God. It's the consummation of all things. It's when Christ returns, as He promised, when He will make right everything that has been so wrong. It's called the day of the Lord. That's a designation that's very familiar in the Old Testament. Uh, It's spoken throughout in the prophetic books. The Old Testament is usually associated with judgment and destruction. Uh, Joel says in Joel 1.15, Alas, for the day, for the day of the Lord is at hand, it shall come as destruction from the Almighty. See, it's associated with destruction. Now, in the New Testament, it's used to refer to the day in which the Lord Jesus will return and shall sit upon His throne in judgment. But it's also a day of grace. It's a day of salvation. It's our redemption Paul speaks about in Romans chapter 8. He says the whole creation groans and travails together in pain, looking forward to that day of redemption. And it's a day of redemption. When God's people will be fully redeemed. Now if you belong to Jesus Christ, if you put your faith and your trust in Him, you have been saved. You have been redeemed. You have been ransomed. You, if you're a Christian, you belong to Him. But things still aren't completely right yet, even with you. You don't love the Lord like you want to love Him. The things you want to do, you don't do. The things you don't want to do, you do. And as Paul says, Oh wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? Well, that very phrase, he's looking forward to the day of redemption. The day in which the Lord will fully redeem His people in body and in spirit. Their bodies, if they've died, will be raised up like His glorious body. And their souls and their bodies will be reunited. And we will forever be with the Lord. It will be full redemption. The day of consummation when He brings all things together. It's a day of God when God will be exalted on that day. It's a day of judgment. As we read back in verse 7. Uh, he speaks about the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same Word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. It's a day of judgment. It's an awful day. Hark that trumpet's awful sound. Now, Peter's speaking here about the flood when God sent judgment on the whole world. And destroyed all the world, every creature save Noah and his family and those animals in the ark. That was by water. But now he's reserving it now to be judged with fire. It's a day of judgment. It's a day of eternity. It's the day that eternity begins in a sense. And eternity, of course, of course, has no beginning. But for us, it will usher in the eternal state when we will forever be with the Lord. It was said as a drop of water from the sea, so are a few years in the day of eternity. I mean we live 60 years, 70 years, perhaps 80 years, some even a hundred years, but that's like a drop in the ocean compared to eternity. You remember what Pilgrim's Progress? Christian or before he was Christian uh, when he was leaving to the city of destruction, he cried out, "Oh eternity, eternity! How shall I grapple with the misery that I must meet with in eternity? I had a college professor who quoted amazing grace to us in class one day when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun. The very last verse. And every time we get to that verse, that's like everybody's their voices rise a little higher and a little more joyful when we've been there in heaven 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun. We've no less days to sing His praise than when we first begun. And He said, now think of this. Those that are in hell experiencing the wrath of God. Where the worm dieth not, it says. Where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. There's misery and destruction. They've no less days to endure all of that than when they first begun. After 10,000 years. No less days. Eternity. It's a day of eternity. There's other names in the Bible. It's called that day, or the day, or the great day. Various names. Uh, John Newton said, it's the day for which all other days were made. Now these various names indicate at least two things. It's a day of eminence. That is, it rises above all the other days. That's why Newton said, is the day for which all other days were made. They're all leading to that one glorious day. I mean, it rises higher than any other day that's been known in the history of mankind. It's a day of eminence. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 that then comes the end when He, that is Jesus, delivers His kingdom to God the Father, when He puts an end to all rule and all authority and all power, there won't be kings of the earth anymore. No, all things are made, will be made subject to Him. Then the Son Himself will be subject to Him who put all things under Him that God may be all in all. It'll be a day of eminence when God has His rightful place. It's a day in which He alone will be exalted. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 2, it speaks of, the, of, of that day of the Lord. But it says, now the lofty looks of man will be humbled. The haughtiness of man will be bowed down. And the Lord alone shall be exalted in that day. The loftiness of man will be bowed down and the haughtiness of men shall be brought low. The Lord alone will be exalted. Chapter 2, verse 17 of Isaiah. Now, how different this was or will be uh, than when Jesus first came to this earth. That's spoken of as His day of humiliation. When the Lord came to this earth, uh, it, it was a humiliating thing for Him to come and to be born as He was born. Born of a woman. Born under the law. And He, he was subject to all the infirmities of our flesh. It's a day of humiliation. But the second coming will be His coming in glory. Jesus said this, Then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. Here's this man walking around. (laughs) Walking as we have to walk. And walking down the streets. But he's speaking of another day. That's when I come in power and in glory. Right now, it doesn't appear at all that God... Is above all, does it? But they will know, the psalmist says, Psalm eighty-three, eighteen, that they may know that you, whose name alone is the Lord, are the Most High over all the earth. It will be a day of great eminence when the Lord will be exalted. But that's the designation that Peter gives here of the day of the Lord. But then look at how he speaks of the certainty. Of his coming, notice in verse ten, he says, "The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. not it may come or we hope it comes, it will come in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat, both the earth and all the works that are in it will be burned up. It's for certain. It's coming. This day of the Lord is coming. And then he goes on to say, Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons you ought to be. That is, since it's going to happen. Not if it happens, or it could happen, but since it's happening. It's going to happen. It is as sure as God is in heaven. Verse 11 says, Since these things will be dissolved... The certainty of His coming is built again on God's faithfulness and on His power to accomplish all that He purposes. His coming again will certainly take place just as He promised, and no matter how many years pass, it doesn't change that promise. Two thousand years cannot change the promises of God. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 37. The writer says, for yet in a little while, he who is coming will come and will not tarry. He's coming. It's an absolute fact. It is certain. When Paul spoke to those philosophers on Mars Hill in Acts chapter 17, verses 30 through 31, he's preaching to them. And these are folks who have no real understanding of the Hebrew Old Testament or any of that. But they had their views of God and they had all of their various gods and so forth. And he begins to preach to them the one true and living God. The God who created all things. Our Creator. The Lawgiver and Judge. And he ends it by saying this. Truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked. But now commands all men everywhere to repent. Not just the Jews, but the Gentiles as well. Because, and here's the reason... He has appointed a day in which He will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom He has ordained. The man whom He has ordained is the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says, And He has given assurance to all of this by raising Him from the dead. How do we know that God has a day in which He will judge the world by Jesus Christ? Because he raised Jesus from the dead. His resurrection assures us that there's a day of judgment, which astounds me because Easter is one of the most celebrated religious holidays on the calendar. People get dressed up and they'll even go to church on Easter and they talk about Easter, and the promise of Easter. Well, the promise of Easter is there that if we look to Christ, we have life. And He will raise us up one day. But it's also an assurance that God is going to send His Christ back to this earth from which He came to judge the world in righteousness. So when they're celebrating Easter, if they're not trusting Christ as their Lord and Savior, they are celebrating their own future destruction. But that's... That day is coming. It is certain. As R.G. Lee said, God's payday train is pulling into the station and all the powers of hell and on earth cannot put on the brakes or put out the steam. It's pulling into the station. And we don't know when that day will come. We talk to people many times. I hear people say, it looks like it could be coming. Look the way the world's changing and all of the wickedness. It's like... God has just let the devil loose at these end times, which he speaks of in the book of Revelation. And maybe this is it. Maybe he's coming now. Well, if he's coming now, it's because he said he would come. If he comes later, he's coming because he said he would. Now let's just point out a few things about the second coming of Christ. It will be personal. That is, Jesus himself will return. Uh, He's not coming in the form of some other man or some angel or anything else. He will come. You remember on the night before he was, the night in which he was betrayed, the night before he was crucified, he had his disciples up there in that upper room and he's comforting them because they're afraid. He's leaving. What are they going to do? What's going to happen to them? And Jesus said, believe in God. Believe also in me. Again, that's a very amazing statement right there. Believe in God, believe in me too. If you ever hear a preacher talk anything like that, he is a false prophet. Get away from him. But Jesus could say that because he is God. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. He's not just trying to comfort them with a useful lie that'll get them through the night. Get them through their hour of mourning and comfort them somehow. It's not really true, but it'll make them feel good for a while till they can get over it. No, he was speaking the truth. If it were not so, I would have told you. And so he says, I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, you might be also. And if I go to prepare a place for you, which he's saying I am going to, I will come again and receive you to myself. Jesus Himself will come again and bring us back with him. It's personal. Some try to explain away his coming as though what his coming really refers to or his second coming is his continued influence in the world through his teaching uh, that it's a sort of spiritual return. As long as we're talking about him and talking about his word, he's still with us. No, he's coming back personally. He is with us in spirit where two or three are gathered together in my name there am I in the midst of them but he's coming back personally he's coming back bodily or physically again trying to explain away his returning as though it's a, a return as though it's just a spiritual return is not what the scriptures teach you remember we we began the study of the book of acts and there Jesus ascends up into heaven right in front of the disciples. He's lifted up and carried up into the clouds and disappeared in their sights. And the angels appeared and said, Who are you watching or what are you looking for? Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up for you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw Him go into heaven. You see, Jesus rose from the dead with a physical body. His body was raised from the dead. You remember they thought they saw a ghost. And Jesus said, I'm no ghost. Look, a ghost doesn't have flesh and blood. He told Thomas to take his hand and shove it in his side. Feel it. I'm not a ghost. He rose bodily from the dead and he ascended bodily into heaven and right now and it's been there for 2000 years his body has joined to him has been in heaven and he will come back he carried his physical body into heaven and with that same body he will return and then notice it says the bible speaks about every eye will see him that he will come as a thief in the night Every eye will see him. It speaks of the the suddenness and unexpectedness of his coming, like a thief. Some try to predict when Christ is coming, but even Jesus talks about it. If you knew when the thief was coming, you would be ready for him. You wouldn't just, oh, he's coming tomorrow, so let's go shopping. No, you stay there or you call the police or something. Now, Peter's not referring here when he speaks of the Lord's coming as a thief in the night. He's, he's not referring to what many people call the, the secret rapture of the church. Uh, now, he is coming back physically, bodily. He's coming unexpectedly. Uh, but the secret rapture teaches that, that, that this is another coming. This isn't actually his second coming. The rapture is something that happens suddenly. But secretly, uh, nobody sees it. People just disappear and they're gone. But the Bible doesn't teach that about His coming. It talks about it being suddenly and unexpectedly, but not secretly. There's nothing that I can find anywhere in the Bible that speaks about it being a, a secret coming that people look around trying to figure out what happened. Now it teaches that He's coming again. Uh that he's coming like a thief in the night. Now again, how does a, a thief commit a burglary? Does he come and ring your doorbell? Or leave you a note telling you when he's coming? Is he going to break into your house? No, of course not. That's that's absurd. He arrives unexpectedly when you're away, or you're asleep, or you're busy, or you're preoccupied. He'll sneak in and, and take what he wants and leave. But no, it's not speaking about uh, something secret. But it is unexpectedly. When if you've ever had something stolen, you can't believe, how did this happen? Well, that's how Jesus is coming. That's why He said, therefore, watch. Watch, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. And then He gives the illustration. But notice that if a master of a house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Now, that doesn't mean as well that you know the time He's coming. And that's how you can expect Him. No, it's talking about living the life you need to be living. So whether He comes today or tomorrow or you die and go to heaven and He comes in another generation, you lived a life ready for His coming. Ready. Ready. As Peter said, "Oh, what manner of persons you ought to be in holy conduct and godliness!" That's living a life that's ready, not living like he's not coming at all, or that he's gone to sleep, or that he's forgotten about us. You remember when Moses was up on the mountain receiving the commandments from God, and the people down below began to get him grow impatient, and where is where is this Moses? And they thought that God had just dragged them out in the wilderness and left them. God hadn't forgotten anything. Now these warnings that we find throughout Scripture tell us that when He comes, men and women will not be expecting it. It's like the days of Noah, Jesus said. As in the days of Noah, so it will also be when the Son of Man comes. They ate, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. You see what was going on, they were just living life as usual. And it's not that we don't, we need to do all of those things. We need to, uh, we need to eat and we need to drink and we get married and, and, and so forth. And just like they did. But they were living like Christ is never coming or God's judgment is never going to come. This is the danger, not only for the ungodly, but for Christians as well. A lot of people, they're just living their lives, drawing their paychecks, and looking forward to Friday and Saturday nights, looking for the time at the lake and so forth, and they forget that Jesus Christ is coming again. John Calvin said, We all labor under two very different evils, too much haste and slothfulness. Uh, we're either seized with impatience for the day of Christ. Uh, at the same time, we securely regard it as a far off. We want him to come, but we think it's just going to come some other time, not now. We're to live like it's coming any day. That's what he's speaking of here. Well, what we see is that history is moving in that direction. History is moving towards that coming day of the Lord. And the question for each of us is, am I ready to meet that day? That day of wrath, that dreadful day when heaven and earth shall pass away. What power shall be in the sinner's stay? How shall he meet that dreadful day? We need to be ready for that day. We need to be ready by having our eyes fixed completely on the Lord Jesus Christ. Our faith and focus must be in Him. What He has done. We read of this destruction uh, that's going to come in that day. That, that day of the Lord when, when He will... Uh, that day of perdition of ungodly men. Judgment and perdition. Well, do you want to face the judgment and perdition of God? Don't think that you can. There are people who think they're tough enough to do that. And if God does throw me in hell, well, He'll throw me in hell and I'll just have lots of company. No, the Bible speaks of those that are calling upon the rocks and the hills to fall upon Him. Jesus said on that day when they see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with His mighty angels, that's when they'll cry out to the hills and to the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the wrath of the Lamb. They realize then they cannot stand before the judgment of God. If you, O Lord should mark iniquities. Who could stand? No one could stand in God's presence. So what do you do? You look to the Lord Jesus Christ, the same One who took the wrath of God upon Himself, who bore our sins in His own body on the tree, that He might make us right with God, to reconcile us to God, so that when He comes, we can cry out as we sang in that hymn, this God is mine. He's not just my Creator, my Lawgiver, and my Judge, but He is my Creator, Lawgiver, Judge, and Redeemer. He died for my sins on the cross so that I might escape the judgment of God. So that when He comes again, it will not be a day of judgment for me. But it will be a day of redemption. When I can cry out, This God is mine. You forever shall know my love and my grace. To come into my presence. Come into my kingdom that I have prepared for you. That's only for those who are putting their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ. Say, I don't believe in Jesus Christ. Then you'll stand with the rest of the ungodly men. And you'll have to endure the wrath of God forever. So we need to be ready. Uh, Peter says in verse 14, Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by Him in peace, without spot and blameless. You think of that, being found by Him in peace. Again, how do you find be found in peace? That you know the Prince of Peace. That by faith you've been justified. Therefore, you have peace with God. He's not looking upon you as an angry judge, but as a reconciled Father. Redeemed by the blood of His Son. And it's through Jesus Christ. He is our mediator between God and man. He's the one that recommends us to God. Recommends us to the Kingdom. And it's through Him We can stand on that great day. But those who have not looked to Christ, they will have to endure that nightmare of God's wrath. And it will be a nightmare. It's a day of certainty. It's coming. We'll look some more at this tonight as we come to the Lord's table, because when we come to the table, Jesus said, you, or Paul said, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. We look backwards at His death. This is what redeems us. This is what justifies us. And we look forward to that day when we will forever be with the Lord. Do you know Him? Are you trusting in Christ? Are you looking to the Lord Jesus Christ? These are fearful words. And this isn't just one text. Jesus said many things. The Apostle Paul said many things about the coming of the Lord. Peter refers to this when he speaks about uh, the, the suffering of, this, uh, of our Lord as salvation. As our brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you. But he said men twist it to their own destruction. Throughout the Scriptures this is taught. If the Bible is true, judgment is coming. And if the Bible is true, the only way to avoid that judgment is by putting all of your hope, all of your trust in Jesus Christ. And notice he says to be without spot and blameless. Well, there's two ways that happens. One is through the death of Christ. His blood, the Bible says, cleanses us from all sin. We can stand faultless before the throne of God because of what Christ did. That's what Christ did for us. But the Bible teaches also what Christ does in us. That is in sanctifying us. What did Paul say about the love of Jesus Christ for the church? He loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might present the church to himself in all of its glory without spot or or wrinkle, or any such thing. That's what God is doing in us. Sanctifying us. Cleansing us. Making us more like Him. Without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. Now, we're never going to achieve that until He comes. And when He comes, those who have been justified and are being sanctified will be completely glorified. That is, they will have every vestige of sin completely eradicated from them themselves. They'll be perfect, even as He is perfect. They'll no longer have sinful thoughts. They'll never have sinful attitudes. They'll never curse. They'll never uh, take the name of the Lord in vain. They'll never hate someone. They'll never, uh, They'll love God with all their heart and soul and strength. But that's when Christ comes. When He eradicates that sinful nature The Apostle John said in John chapter two, he said uh, that, or John chapter three, he says that, beloved, here in His love, not that we loved Him, but that He loved us, and He speaks of that love. Oh, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called the children of God, and such we are. We will be like Him when we see Him. He says, we will be like Him, for we will see Him as He is. So we look forward to that day when our sins will be completely taken away and we can love Him with an unsinning heart. We can sing praises to Him with all our being because sin will no longer have refuge in ourselves. They've been taken away. Nothing unholy enters His kingdom. It will be a kingdom, He says, in which dwells righteousness, He says there in verse 13. That's the promise. That's what we're looking forward to. That promise of a dwelling, a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Is that what you want? A lot of people think they want to go to heaven because they want to see some relative or someone they think is in heaven. That's not the reason to go to heaven. The reason to go to heaven is because Christ is there and because it's a place in which dwells righteousness you want to go to heaven because you oh, all they have streets of gold Well, that would be nothing compared to Christ himself the glory of heaven and what he's done in us and for us completely glorified even to be pure even as he is pure well do you know the lord jesus christ this morning are you trusting him when you think about the coming of the lord you have to understand This is true. These are facts. This is a certainty. Christ is coming again. Are you looking forward to that coming? Maybe you're afraid because you're not really living for Him. You're living for yourself. You're not seeking to please Him. You're not telling others about Him. You're just living for yourself. Well, you have reason to be concerned. It's only for those who are looking to Christ. May we be looking to Him when He comes. As Paul said, and our brother Mark quoted that, I want to be found in Him. As found on that great day. I want to be found in Christ. Not having my own righteousness, which is through the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. I want to be saved, justified, have the righteousness of Christ imputed to me, so that I can stand before Him. I want to be found in Him. Let's pray. Our gracious.